brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. What we need is more common sense. More common sense. You've got to use plain old common sense. Breaking down the world's nonsense. About how American common sense will see us through. With the common sense of Houston. I'm just pro-common sense. For Houston, from Houston. We're talking about common sense. This is the Jimmy Barrett Show. Brought to you by Viewin.com. Now, here's Jimmy Barrett. Happy Tuesday. We're ready to go here through a five here on AM 950 KPRC. Uh, we got a lot of guests coming up on the show today. They had the big verdict in Dallas uh, over a uh, police officer. We we didn't talk a lot about this story. I guess I, I thought it was a little bit more Dallas-centric, but now the verdict's in. It might be kind of nice to recap what happened. Dallas County jury today convicted fired police officer Amber Geiger of murder for fatally shooting a man in his apartment last year. This is the one with the weird, kind of the weird storyline where she walked into his apartment, says she got startled by him. She thought she was walking into her own apartment and shot the guy. Didn't take long for them to reach the verdict on this one. Anyway, we have a Dallas attorney going to join us. His name is Chris Lewis. Chris is with um, Crane, Lewis, and Brogdon, which is a Dallas area law firm. Uh, he's been following this entire trial, so we'll get the latest on you know, how, how, how it all came down with the verdict today in fairly short order. Um, also, get his thoughts on you know what kind of sentence he potentially faces and what kind of potential problems anybody who's a former police officer faces when you throw them in prison. Because they it seems to me they would automatically become a, a target. But then again, she killed somebody. So, and I mean, listen, I'm not, I would never excuse that as a reason for her to become a target. I'm just saying she's in there of her own good making. Also, we've met, visited with this guy before. He's an he's a interesting guy. He's a physician, Dr. Michael Busser. So we have two things to ask him about because he's a conservative and he's involved in the world of medicine. He says Republicans might be on the road to Medicare for all and not even realize they're on that road. And, of course, you know, uh, he also has an opinion or two on the impeachment process, so we'll talk to him about that. And then coming up at 432, uh, Fort Bend County Sheriff Troy Nels um, gave, a, um, gave sort of a, a, a media press conference the other day with the intent of informing, I guess, not just the media, but also parents in Fort Bend County. And, I, and I'm assuming it's not just Fort Bend. I'm assuming this is going on throughout the Houston metro area. Evidently, there's a new drug of choice 
in the Houston area is something called robo uh, tripping. You ever heard of robo tripping? It's dangerous. If, well, any drug use is dangerous. But robo tripping is becoming a real problem. So we're going to ask him about what it is, what the signs are for those of you that might have concerns about your own kids getting involved in drug use and that kind of stuff. I mean, you're you're talking. You're listening to a guy who probably his only real drug of choice these days, other than some occasional glasses of wine, is caffeine. That's that's my real drug of choice. I never, I never did any hard drugs. I don't I don't even know what that's like. I don't know if I'd, I, I guess I was always too afraid of what it would do to me. You know, and especially knowing what's in some of this stuff. But it is it is truly amazing. It's like this. It's like the story I had yesterday. Was it there's some sort of a poisonous toad that you know people are you know vaping the the venom from a poisonous toad? They then it just it, it sends them on a on a brief. It's like taking a quick trip on LSD. It's just it's kind of like really why? Where's the fun in this? Anyway, we'll get into all this stuff as we continue here. On AM 950 KPRC. Not to mention the fact we have all kinds of crazy, crazy stories to fill you in on and to bring you up to date on. Um, and uh, coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, I, I saw the stats on this and I thought, well, this, this is the argument you want to make to anybody who thinks that you know, you should not be able to have a gun. It is the latest FBI statistics for 2018 on how people died in this country. It shows, among other things, that more than five times the amount of people were killed with knives than were with rifles. Five times. How many people died at the hand of a rifle in this country last year? 297. About 1,500 people we're killed by knives. Pardon me where I clear my throat here. You know, 297 to 1,500. So the stats are pretty amazing. We'll share some of the stats with you. You know, it, it's great if, if you run into anybody who works. Yeah, we need to tape. There's no reason for people to have an AK-47, AR-15. Those are assault weapons. Well, they're also coming to the category of rifles. And that includes... Mass shootings of any kind. So I'll get you the figures uh, right after 4 o'clock today here on AM 950 KPRC. All right, we have a restaurant in Baltimore. Let's start with this one. We have a a restaurant in, in Baltimore that's already been accused of discrimination. And the restaurant isn't even open yet. It Huh? Yeah, it hasn't. it hasn't even opened up yet. Evidently, they've already published their dress code, which, uh, as I understand, you know, people don't um, people don't really like dress codes anymore. I I I understand that, and it seems like there are fewer and fewer places that have a dress code or make any sort of an attempt to um, try to have a dress code. I'm. I'm not sure why that is. I think every now and again, there's no harm. If you're going to a really nice steakhouse, there's no harm in getting dressed up every now and again, right? I mean, 
I, I realize that a lot of folks that don't necessarily have to wear a suit and tie for a living might not necessarily have a lot of dress-up clothes, but I think just about every woman has a little black dress. Just about every guy has a sport coat and a pair of nice slacks. So what if every now and again you put it on? But we seem to want to go everywhere in T-shirts, shorts, and flip-flops. Everywhere. I mean, it's one thing you want to go to the grocery store like that. I, I, never got, I never got used to the idea of going to church dressed like that. I mean, I can, I can go without wearing a suit and tie, but <laughs> I know they want you to come. That's the thing. See, we have gotten as casual as we have because they want you to come. So what is on this dress code list that has everybody all upset? They're calling it racist. So I'll share some of that with you coming up next. You're on AM 950 KPRC. Also, we're going to bring up to date on that Dallas verdict today. That's coming up in the immediate future. The Jimmy Barrett Show continues, continues. on KPRC 950. It, it was a strange case. And I'm glad we've got our next guest because, honestly, you know, I've not really been paying that much attention until all of a sudden the verdict comes down and you go, oh, whoa, 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 okay, we better, we better get an update on this. Stories out of Dallas where a former Dallas police officer, and I'm kind of paraphrasing all this right now, uh, walked into a black man's apartment. The only reason why I mentioned the color of skin is because race came up during the course of the trial. Uh, along with names like Trayvon Martin and others, at least after the trial it came up. Um, Amber Geiger is the name of the police officer. Pretty young white girl walks into this apartment and shoots this guy. That, we know, happened. Where the story started to change is the story she came up with, with, which evidently the jury did not believe, that she mistakenly walked into this man's apartment thinking it was her apartment and shot him because it was dark and hard to see and she thought it was a burglar. So they brought up the Castle Doctrine because they said her attorney said she believed she was in her apartment and that's why the man was shot. So that would be covered under the Castle Doctrine. Joins to talk about all this and try to kind of straighten everything out for me. Chris Lewis, he's with Crane Lewis Brogdon. It's a Dallas area law firm. He's been following this entire trial. I kind of gave kind of the, the, the cliff note version there, Chris, of, of, of what happened. What else do we know about what happened that night? Well, what we know is that she had worked about a 13-and-a-half-hour shift. Um, she went to her apartment building. She parked where she always thought that she parked. She got off, ended up being on the wrong floor. Now, she lived on the third floor of the building. He lived on the fourth floor the exact same apartment, one right above each other. They were The hallways were laid out the same. When you enter the apartment, those are all laid out the same. So what she was saying was that she went into what she believed to be her apartment. She hears shuffling. Uh, she draws her service weapon and sees an, uh, an individual, a man, start to come towards her. She gives him some commands to show his hands. He says, hey, hey, continues to come uh, for, uh, forward, she shoots twice, uh, one shot hitting him, center mass, the other shot missing. Uh, that one shot proved to be fatal. It was right in the heart. All right. Evidently, the door to this apartment was unlocked, correct? 
Well, it was more than unlocked. So in this particular apartment building, you put in a key card, which will then, almost like a hotel room, blink green and then allow you access. She goes to put in the uh, the key card and the door pushes open, which which should be an anomaly anyway because these doors are supposed to be self-closing, but that particular door, both of John's uh, to, to the victim's apartment, um, he had been having problems with it. So that's the first thing that drew her attention. She goes to put the key card in and the door starts to open. Okay. So... If all that's the way things really happen, why did she end up getting convicted? Well, I think she got for murder in this case. Be, yeah, the uh, and and that was that was a complete shock, I think, to a lot of people, myself included. Um, I, I think that she got. I, I listened to most of the testimony, uh, heard all of the arguments, and I, I think this is what the situation was. Um, the prosecution spent a long time with the emotional hooks, how great of a guy this was, how he was innocent, how he was sitting in his own apartment eating ice cream, watching TV, how he didn't deserve to die. All those things were true. They just don't have a whole lot to do with the case. They also spent a good time during their cross-examination of the officer of Amber Geiger talking about, although she has no duty to retreat under the Castle Doctrine, that she could have backed away, she didn't have to go in, uh, before drawing her service weapon, she could see whether or not she could have taken the time to see whether or not he was armed. She could have tried to turn on lights. She had her radio still on her, her police radio. She was only two blocks away from police headquarters. Uh, she could have backed away and taken cover in the hallway. And they went through this litany of things that she could have done that she did not do. And then they asked her the ultimate question. The ultimate question was, when you pulled the gun and you pointed and you shot, did you intend to kill him? She tried to equivocate a little bit and explain that she didn't know. She was trying, um, she didn't know quite what the threat was, and she was trying to, uh, to deal with the threat. And they said, we don't care. Answer our questions. Did you intend to kill him? Which obviously is the language in the murder statute. And she said, yes. I noticed after the trial, you know, some of the people speaking out brought up some past cases of police abuse. So evidently there are some members of the African-American community who it thought that the shooting had more to do with the fact that he was a black man than he was just a man in an, in an apartment that she thought was hers. Well, I, I don't think that the evidence um, showed that whatsoever. The two of them didn't know each other. She didn't know that it was a black man. Uh, she went into the wrong apartment. I think it's pretty well uncontroverted that she went into the wrong apartment thinking that it was her apartment. Now, in order for a mistake of fact to come in, that, that's got to be reasonable. Obviously, the jury, um, the jury uh, disagreed with that. I don't think that race played a part in her going into the apartment or making the shot. I do think race played a part in the jurors' deliberations and how they came down on this case. I think that I think that Amber Geiger, that she is emblematic of, of a, a issue that we've had for a long time uh, with protest and, and with, with um, the interplay between police officers, law enforcement, and the African-American community. And I think it all came to a head today. Do you think the verdict was just? What, what went into the, in, into the jury's decision, do you think, about going for murder versus manslaughter, for example? 
One, uh, when the prosecutor pinned her down and said, did you intend to kill him? Uh, we know that there's a recklessness standard when you're dealing with manslaughter. There was nothing about this case that, that dealt with recklessness or reckless conduct. It was the pointing of the gun at both and John. It was pulling the trigger, and she hit the target that she was aiming at. I think that the state asked for manslaughter just in case the jury did not agree with murder. But do I think it was just? I don't. I, mean, I don't think there was anything about this case that screamed murder. It was unfortunate. A good man died. It was senseless. Um, it, it should have been unavoid, uh, unavoidable. I, I see why a jury would have a hard time saying, listen, this is a justifiable homicide. Uh, Amber Geiger, you made a mistake. You, you killed a great young man. Go and sin no more. I, I don't think the jury was going to do that. And although I don't think the facts supported the manslaughter charge, I thought the jury was going to come back with manslaughter. I still don't understand how they came back with a murder conviction. Okay, I'm guessing she will probably uh, have an appeal, although she will be sentenced on this particular charge. That's the next phase in this trial, correct? The, the, the jury will decide the sentencing, or will the judge? No, no, no. The jury will decide the sentencing. They've already started those proceedings. It's almost, for, for your listeners that aren't aware, uh, in Texas's system, they have the first part of the trial, which is guilt-innocence. Then they start a whole new trial, calling witnesses, giving arguments, doing that kind of thing. Uh, that's the sentencing. So the jury's going to consider um, all of the evidence that's brought from both sides, and then they're going to deliberate, and they have to reach a unanimous verdict again on what the sentencing is. And the, the options they have are anywhere from a minimum of five years in prison up to 99 years or life in prison, and manslaughter, I mean, I'm sorry, and probation is not an option. She cannot receive probation for a murder conviction. All right. Chris, thanks so much for your time today and for explaining it all to us. Sure do appreciate it. That's Chris Lewis from Crane Lewis and Brogdon. That's a Dallas law firm. He's been following this entire trial, the trial of Amber Geigen, convicted of murder today up in Dallas. Back with more in a moment. Jimmy Barrett, AM 950 KPRC. Back to the Jimmy Barrett Show on KPRC 950. 332 now from a sensational Dallas murder trial. We now segue into hospital bills that can scare you to death. See, there's a tie in here somewhere. Um, actually, what we want to talk about with our next guest is, you know, we've talked a million times to Sunday about the high cost of medicine, transparency and medical procedures, um, why drug prices are so high, trying to rein in the cost of health care, how your insurance premiums keep going up while your deductible keeps going up along with it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now the average family of four, um, their their um, health insurance is costing them about twenty thousand, over $20,000 a year for the first time in history. So it's certainly not getting any cheaper. Everybody wants an answer as to how, how do we rein in costs without having a, an impact on the quality of our health care. So with all that in mind, um, evidently that's what Senator Lamar Alexander thought he might be doing by introducing a bill called the Lower Health Care Cost Act, which basically strikes me as a price-capping type of mechanism. Uh, Dr. Michael Bussler joins us. He's a conservative. He's written a lot of stuff for Newsmax. In fact, he had a story on Newsmax about this called Medicare for All Light Won't Solve Surprise Medical Billing. So I take it you think this is a step down the road to what 
AOC and the, the squad would like to do with medicine. Uh, yeah, Jimmy, I certainly do. And uh, thanks for having me here. It's always my pleasure to be here. So essentially what was uh, proposed was uh, putting some uh, price caps uh, to stop prices from, from going up. Um, and normally when they do that, it, it oftentimes looks like it's going to uh, hold prices down. Uh, what ends up happening is the quality ends up going way down, uh, and um, you end up often with uh, some shortages of product, and then the prices end up going up anyway. Um, this is really um, more of government intervention, and government regulations are really not the answer to uh, solving the, the health care issue. Let me just say, um, uh, look at the big picture here a little bit and why the, the Democrats and the Republicans can't get together on this. Um, they, I think each side has the same goals, but I think what the problem is is what the priority of those goals should be. In other words, when we set up our health care policy, we're concerned with uh, the quality, the cost, and the coverage. Now, historically, and what the Republicans continue to want is for the priority to be, number one, let's get the highest quality care. Number two, let's do it at the most reasonable price. And number three, let's try to cover as many people as possible. And that, uh, prior to um, the Affordable Care Act and prior to what the Democrats are proposing today, that's pretty much the way uh, the priority of our health care goals. It resulted, and prior to the Affordable Care Act, it resulted in about 85% of the population having health insurance, and the vast majority of the 85% were very happy with their coverage. Now, they didn't like the cost. They didn't like the fact it was going up in, in price, but they were generally happy with the uh, coverage that they had. The Democrats, uh, beginning with the Affordable uh, Care Act and even more so today, are switching the priorities. Instead of the quality first, cost second, and coverage third, they're switching it to coverage first, cost second, and quality third. So the Democrats are concerned health care for everyone. The number one goal is to get everyone covered. Then they'll worry about the cost. And then at the bottom of that is quality. Now, if the Republicans are trying to have one set of priorities, the Democrats are trying to have another that will be very difficult to get together. And that's why um, when the Affordable Care Act was passed, uh, only Democrats voted for it. Um, when President Trump tried his repeal and he came one vote short, uh, only Republicans voted for it. Uh, so we can't find something that uh, will appeal at least partially to uh, some members of, of the other side. And as long as that happens, it's going to be very difficult to come up with policy. And meanwhile, um, we have a health care system that's uh, kind of in a mess now. I mean, everybody agrees it has to either be replaced uh, or significantly modified. Um, so we uh, get rid of some of the problems that the new system has brought on. You know, Dr. Bushley, there's a couple of problems that come up all the time. And uh, and um, I can't remember if we talked about this last time you and I talked together. My my wife had a trip to the emergency room involved in ambulance. Luckily, the hospital was very close by. She had a little she had a little heart scare. She was fine by and she wasn't there for all that terribly long. But in the course of the time that she was there, you know, you don't think for a second are the doctors in network or out of network. 
what is this ambulance ride going to cost me? All those things, you find out about all those things after the fact when you get the bill that's left over from when the, when the insurance company pays what they're going to pay and you end up with the rest. And you usually end up with a few surprises along the way, not only yeah. by how much it costs, by, but especially in an emerging emergency room setting, how little is in network. Yeah, and of course, uh, when you're in a situation in an emergency room, you aren't going to ask the doctor uh, what insurance they take. You just, you just want to be taken care of. You know, part, part of the problem, too, uh, is that uh, the way medical uh, doctors and medical professionals are paid, uh, it's not directly by the consumer. In other words, we buy insurance, uh, and as long as our insurance covers it, we don't really care what anything costs uh, and uh, what the price is. Uh, at all, um, because our insurance is paying for it. So uh, one of the things the Republicans have suggested as a way to make it um, make the consumer more responsible uh, is to uh, set up these health savings accounts. Um, as you noted uh, prior, the average family of four now pays over $20,000 a year uh, for health insurance. So one thing to do is to say, look, just let everybody get a catastrophic health insurance policy, something that just covers um, major hospital visits and uh, very major illnesses and not much of anything else, and then take the rest of that $20,000 that you were spending um, on health insurance, put that into a health savings account. You can combine it with other family members. And then when uh, somebody in the in your group, your, you, you or somebody in your family needs something, it's paid out of that account. So now it's coming out of your money, and if you have a medical need that is not an emergency, you know, you're likely to shop around a little bit for uh, for the best price. Uh, if it turns out that uh, your doctor says, look, uh, your tonsils are going to have to come out, um, doesn't have to happen in the next day or two, but it's something that's going to have to happen shortly, well, you can take a look around at where you can get the best uh procedure to do that at the most reasonable price, and you're paying for it yourself, so now you're very conscious uh, as to what these, these prices are. Uh, that would be um, one step to try to help this. Let me let me ask you as well, you know, because we, they talk about transparency all the time. Whether what, I don't know if I were to go to the doctor's office and say, well, you want to do this particular procedure, how much is this going to cost? Um, sometimes you get a, 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 a direct answer. Sometimes you get a bit of an evasive answer. There are those who think that the doctor's offices should be willing to, to publish their pricing so that you know right up front what these things are going to cost you less whatever your insurance is going to cover. Yeah, you know, I think that would be a great idea. Transparency, um, I think, is very important here. We don't have any transparency at all. So just like any other service you receive, uh, you usually know ahead of time uh, how much it's going to cost, and you uh, approve it. Uh, with health care, we don't do that. We just uh, get the service wherever we get it. As long as the insurance company's paying for it, we don't really know what it costs. Uh, so anything that adds to transparency and uh, so that people can actually see what they're paying for things uh, would be a, a plus. Doctors uh, should advertise or should at least uh, publicize uh, what they're charging for um, all of their services uh, so that people know that, uh, you know, if we're going to have something done, you know how much it's going to cost. And if it's going to come out of your own health savings account, your own pocket, um, you know, you might be a little uh, willing to shop around a little bit um, for the best uh, care 
most reasonable price. So publishing prices, I think, is a great idea. Yeah, well, I don't know too many doctor's offices that want to go that route. If for no other reason than a lot of them, they have a sliding scale. <laughs> you know, they'll, they'll, they'll send a bill to the insurance company for $5,000, um, and the insurance company will end up negotiating it down to 1500 bucks. I mean, it's like, it's like, buying, it's like a, buying a used car, almost. Uh, can you hang yeah. on for the break? I need to take a quick break here, uh, Dr. Bustler, but I also want you to get your economics hat on here because, as you know, uh, we seem to be on the road right now to impeachment in, in Congress, at least in the House. And I don't know yeah. if that had any impact on the stock market today or not, but we had a big drop. Well, it had more to do, I think, with manufacturing numbers than anything else, but I want to get your thoughts here on what this toxic environment can, can potentially do to our economic situation here in this country. We're with Dr. Michael Bussler, Ph.D., public policy analyst, economics expert, professor of finance at Stockton University, New Jersey, also featured columnist on Newsmax, The Hill, The Western Journal, townhall.com, and others. Back with more with him in just a moment here on AM 950 KPRC in The Jimmy Barrett Show. For Houston, from Houston, this is the Jimmy Barrett Show on KPRC 950. 348 at a time here on AM 950 KPRC. We're uh, visiting with Dr. Michael Bustler, Ph.D. He's a public policy analyst, economics expert, professor of finance at Stockton University, New Jersey. Also writes columns all the time for The Hill and Newsmax, among others. And uh, we're going to kind of segue into another area here, which I think on a day like today probably is a good idea because the Dow dropped about 300 points right after the president basically warned that the stock market is going to crash if he gets impeached. I, I think that just might be um, bad timing all the way around, but um, it's always interesting to look at these things. Does a presidential impeachment, the last time, of course, we went through this, was uh, during Bill Clinton's impeachment. Um, did the stock market, how did the stock market react to that back then? Well, uh, actually, the uh, stock market and the economy were doing uh, very well back then. Um, If you go back, uh, what uh, President Clinton did um, in 1997, uh, he convinced Congress to cut the capital gains tax rate from 28 percent down to 20 percent. And he also um, worked with Newt Gingrich, who was Speaker of the House at the time, uh, to not only reduce the deficit, but they actually had a surplus in the, the budget. Um, Bill Clinton, his exact words in the 1996, I believe, State of the Union message was, um, the era of big government is over. So uh, when he followed a policy of lowering corporate gains, uh, uh, capital gains tax rates, reducing government spending to balance the budget, uh, he did that. All that was passed in 96. From 97 to 2000, the economy grew at a 4.5% annual rate each year. Uh, so the economy was still doing uh, well. The thing is, though, um, anytime you have an impeachment, it creates a lot of uncertainty. And in the, in the environment we have today, where there's plenty of uncertainty because of the trade war, the length of the uh, recovery we've had from the last recession. Uh, so because of that, there's a lot of uncertainty. Now you add to that the uncertainty of uh, and impeachment, and it's certainly nothing to to help the stock market. I don't think that's what hurt the market today, though. As you mentioned uh, before, uh, the manufacturing index uh, dropped below 50. Um, It had been slightly above 50. Most economists figured it would come in right around 50. 
and it came in at 47. Now, why is that important? Anything 50 or above shows the manufacturing sector is growing. Anything below 50 shows the manufacturing sector is shrinking. So the number came in at 47, which is uh, lower than it's been. I think the last time it was in the 47 range was about 10 years ago. Uh, so there is some uncertainty uh, in the economy from the trade war, some uncertainty in the economy uh, from this impeachment. And uh, manufacturing turned out to be uh, not doing well. Now, it's only one month. In economics, we say one month does not make a trend. So we have to see what happens. But still, it is uh, somewhat disturbing that manufacturing has uh, fallen the way that uh, it has. The other thing was uh, car sales um, are also dropping significantly. Uh, the last five or six years, car sales have been very good, topping out over 17 million uh, cars per year. It looks like we're going to dip down below that this year. And based on numbers in the month of September, um, it looks like it may drop even um, a little bit further. So, do you think some uh, of that's being driven by? Things, I was going to say, do you think some of that's driven by the GM strike? Uh, some of it uh, is, yeah. I'm I'm not sure how that's impacting sales necessarily. They say uh, GM says that they have, they have plenty of inventory, um, and uh, until they work that down, it's, the strike is not going to have a whole lot of impact. The thing was these poor sales figures were reported by uh, Toyota, Honda. Um, uh, so they're they're not really impacted by the uh, by the strike. So I don't think the strike is having a huge impact. Now General Motors, I uh, saw an estimate this morning that it's cost them hundreds of millions of dollars already, perhaps as much as a billion uh, dollars. And the two sides don't seem to be getting any any closer. They're talking about wages uh, and mostly job protection uh, because as General Motors gears to make more electric cars. Most of those are made in highly automated plants that don't require uh, a lot of workers. So the workers are trying to protect their jobs, and that's kind of a tricky uh, walk for General Motors to take, knowing what, what the future will be. So I think all those things contributed uh, to some bad sentiment on Wall Street, and I think that's what caused the stock market um, to go down. Okay. We'll let you go here because the connection is getting bad, but appreciate your time as always, sir. Thanks for joining us in your insight. Dr. Michael Bussler, uh, joining us here on uh, AM950 KPRC. All right, here's a story. I got, got, got started with this story, and I didn't get a chance to finish it, so I should start over <laughs> and give you the short introduction to it. A Baltimore restaurant is getting ready to open. They're going to have a dress code. The dress code has been cited as being discriminatory, and racist as hell. Okay. I bet you're curious. What is the dress code? Strictly prohibited. This is the new, new Chop Tank restaurant in the Fells section of Baltimore. I'm not familiar with the Fells section of Baltimore. I have no idea how upscale it might be. Um, I do know that the restaurant said, hey, before we posted this, we checked with some of the other restaurants that are similar to ours in, in, in our clientele, and they all have the same dress code. Strictly prohibited, the sign says. Excessively baggy clothing. Pants must be worn at the waist 
No shorts below the knee. Offensive, vulgar, or inappropriate attire. Leave that F.U. t-shirt at home. It doesn't say that. I added that. Athletic attire. Sweats or gym clothing. It's a nice restaurant. Would you go to a nice restaurant wearing sweats? Some people would. Jerseys. Except on Ravens, Orioles, game days. Because maybe you're coming from the game or going to the game. Brimless headgear. Such as beanies and bandanas. Backwards or sideways hats. Must be worn forward. Work and construction boots. Sunglasses after dark. I wear my sunglasses at night. My future's so bright, I gotta wear shades. Children and young adults under 21 after 10 p.m. Those are the rules. In other words, business casual. I mean, you could have put attire business casual. But there must sometimes sometimes that's not enough for folks. You have to be very specific. The problem is is that there are some in the community who think, oh, they're picking on black people. Listen, I I have seen people of all races, creeds, colors, and origins wear clothing like that. If you're if you're a high end restaurant and you're trying to maintain a high end decorum, you have the right as a business to clearly state what your dress code is. And as long as you are enforcing it, enforcing it evenly among everybody, regardless of race, creed, color, or national origin, it shouldn't be a problem. It shouldn't be a problem. Now, I know that we've become a super casual society, and there are some people who don't think they should have to wear anything other than a T-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops anywhere they want to go. If that's the case, there are plenty of restaurants that will happily accept you, regardless of what you're wearing. Firstly, yeah, I would feel a little out of place wearing, you know, granted, my mom was old school, so I, I was raised, you know, there's a certain way to act and a certain way to dress that I realize does not exist by today's standards anymore. But would you walk into a nice Houston steakhouse wearing T-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops? Because I've seen it. I've seen it, and I had, I can't think of too many, if any, Houston area restaurants that will kick you out. As long as, 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 as long as you have the money to pay your dining bill, they'll be happy to have you. But I would think you'd feel a little out of place dressed that way when a lot of folks around you are, are dressed up or at least look nice. All right, 4 o'clock hour coming straight up. Uh, Sheriff Troy Nels, Fort Bend County, uh, with robo-tripping. That's the latest thing that are getting kids high, robo-tripping. What is robo-tripping? We'll find out about that. And also some gun facts you may want to use on your anti-gun acquaintances. In just a moment here on AM 950 KPRC. What we need is more common sense. More common sense. we got to use plain old common sense. Breaking down the world's nonsense. About how American common sense will see us through. With the common sense of Houston. I'm just pro-common sense. For Houston, from Houston. We're talking about common sense. 
This is the Jimmy Barrett Show, brought to you by ViewIn.com. Now, here's Jimmy Barrett. 405 here on AM 950 KPRC. Glad you could join us for our number two. Uh, Fort Bend County Sheriff Troy Nels joins us at about 432. And uh, we'll talk about robo-tripping. Robo-tripping. Which is the latest way that kids are getting high. I looked it up because I I hadn't heard the term before. Oh, these crazy kids. I don't know what they're doing. Robo-tripping is slang for getting high on deck... Let's see. It's a tongue twister. Dextromethorphan. Greeting commonly found in many cough medications. Taking too much DXM. Oh, that's better. I can say that. Taking too much DXM can lead to a host of side effects, including hallucinations, disorientation, and a sense of flying. Okay. There's one more thing you're not going to be able to get your hands on at the at the pharmacy. I think we're probably any over-the-counter cold medication now is at the point where you're probably going to have to get it from behind the counter going forward and sign for it and some sort of a record of you having bought it and how much of it you bought because that's what we're doing now. We're getting high on whatever we can get our hands on. Now... I'm not going this is not meant as some sort of a solicitation to making alcohol legal for kids. But it seems to me that what has happened is well, it's unintended consequences to begin with. And I think I think we do things for a good reason. Or we think it's a good reason. You know, like like cracking down on Alcohol sales to kids, to teens, because we don't want them drinking beer and wine and getting drunk. We don't want them doing that, so we make sure they can't. Okay, can't get my hands on that anymore. Um, let me see what mom or dad have in the in the in the uh, in the medicine cabinet. Take some of that to get high. Then we get wise to that. We start locking that stuff up. And then they move on to 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 whatever else they can get their hands on. They start sniffing stuff that were was never intended to to be ingested into a human being. They begin combining medications together in, in such a way that is extremely dangerous, much more dangerous than drinking alcohol. I I guess it's I guess to a certain extent it must be basic human nature to want to get high. And kids will find a way to do it, and kids will find a way to experiment with it. And whatever the device of choice is, leads to problems. They aren't happy just smoking marijuana. If they can get their hands on marijuana, they're going to vape THC. And now we're seeing all these lung issues as a result. And vaping, of course, was supposed to be a safer alternative to smoking. Well, it might have been until they started putting things in the vaping pens that are going to cause great harm. So robo-tripping is the latest thing. We'll find out more about that and how big of a problem the sheriff thinks it is. Not just in Fort Bend, but all around the Houston area. 
you you remember me describing to you that it seems to me that the environment is the new religion of the left. You know, climate change is like a religion uh, to to people on the left that they worship Mother Earth. They, um, yeah, that that is their new that is their new religion of choice. It's not God. It's not Jesus Christ. It's the environment. I saw this headline, and I thought, well, this can't be real. Somebody's making this up. Turns out they're not. The Church of Sweden has announced that Greta Thunberg is the successor of Jesus. You know the little girl who's on the autism spectrum? They gave Trump the glare, who, who lectured world leaders about the climate? The Church of Sweden which has routinely promoted teen climate change alarmist Greta Thunberg, announced her as successor to Jesus Christ last December. It said announcement, Jesus of Nazareth has now appointed one of his successors, Greta Thunberg. The Church of Limhan tweeted, this was on December 1st of this last year. The announcement resurfaced online on Monday, likely due to the church's most recent support of her activism. Last week, for example, the Church of Sweden, Malmo, announced that they would ring their church bells in conjunction with a global climate strike of which Lindbergh is the face. In connection with the global climate strike, church bells ring and we gather for prayer for the future of the earth. We pray that we believe that man is responsible for nurturing and managing creation so that children are given the opportunity for a future. We pray that we know that climate change affects the most vulnerable, poor, children, and women. We pray that we believe in man's ability to change and change. Wow. I don't know too many churches that are willing to say, yeah, that little girl, she's a successor to Jesus because of what she's doing. That is pretty amazing. There it is right there. At least, uh, at least in her home country. Climate change and protecting Mother Earth is religion. And she, right now she's the patron saint. That's, that's, that's a completely <clears throat> different take on where she's at than I think a lot of us are at. I mean, she really, she really does believe that we are killing the Earth and we only have a few years left. I don't think that's the case. I don't think she's a prophet when it comes to climate change. I mean, she's she's welcome to have her cause. And if the Church of Sweden decides that she's their patron saint, then hey, I guess that's up to them. I'm not a member of the Church of Sweden. They can worship as they please, but wow, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to pass around the plate for that one. All right, a little break here. Um, some great statistics from the FBI, because when it comes to talking about gun violence, you gotta you gotta look at it with facts. More on that coming up next. AM nine fifty KPRC. Read about it later. How about we talk about it now? The Jimmy Barrett Show continues on KPRC nine fifty. Four eighteen here on AM nine fifty KPRC. All right. Um, 
you know, you get into to arguments with people all the time or discussions. I try not to ever get into arguments. I don't like arguing. You know, I kind of, I've, I've, um, I found that nothing much gets accomplished when we're yelling at each other. Yelling at people is a sign that you're frustrated. Or you're just trying to outshout me. So I don't wish to outshout you or anybody else who disagrees with me. I'll let you state your case. And then, if given the opportunity, I'll be happy to respond. If you want to interrupt me and shout at me, then that'll be the end of the conversation. I don't need that in my life. So what I try to do is I try to, I just try to study up on stuff. So when somebody comes to me and says, you don't need an AR-15. Okay, you're right. I don't need an AR-15. I don't own an AR-15. If I thought I needed one, though, I'd like to think I could get one. Not that I need it. It's not a matter of need all the time. Sometimes you just want stuff. But those are dangerous. Those kill people. Well, no, they don't kill people. But if used by the wrong person, it can kill somebody. So I like to kind of keep track of statistics. Every year, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, will come out with their list of crime in the United States. And one of the things they will tell you is how many murder victims we have had and how they died. And there's no doubt that guns lead the way when it comes to killing people. It is the preferred method of homicide. It's also, by the way, the preferred method of suicide. And there are a lot of weapons out there. I get that. I understand that. That's fine. So how many people were murdered with a firearm here in the United States in 2018? We're talking talking good old-fashioned inner city killings, we're talking mass shootings, people killed, homicide, regardless of walk of life or where they're from. I'm not, even, I'm not even going to try to figure out what cities this stuff comes from. I'm just talking about in generalities in the United States. Because when people talk about taking your gun rights away um, or expanded background checks or red flag laws or those all those kinds of things, they're not talking about doing it in Chicago or Detroit or Los Angeles, or the city of Houston, any place where the crime level is higher than you want it to be, they're talking about making it the law of the land, even if you're out in West Texas somewhere on a ranch. So we'll use the country as as its entirety. Total amount of killings, murder victims, from total firearms last year, 10,265. That's down from 11,006 in 2017. So the better, over 800 less people died, were killed by a firearm in 2018 than were killed in 2017. Of those 10,265, how many do you suppose were killed with a rifle? Care to take a guess? The correct answer is 297. 235 were killed with a shotgun. Put those two figures together between rifles and shotguns and you've got a number that is roughly, you know, give or take 500. 
little over 500. Call it 550, maybe I'll round it up. Five, 550. Do you know how many people were killed by a knife or a cutting instrument last year? 1,515. Rifles and shotguns, about 550. Knives, 1,515. More people were killed by a blunt object. I'm talking about clubs, hammers, crowbars, those types of things. Two-by-fours. Anything that could be used to hit you over the head. Blunt objects. 443. There were... Almost as many people killed with a hammer or a club or blunt object as there were with shotguns and rifles combined. But wait, it gets better. How many people do you suppose were killed by a bare hand or a fist or by somebody stomping on your head with a heavy boot? In other words, personal weapons. These hands are registered personal weapons. Last year's total, 672. So, to make a long story short, more people were killed by by a fist or feet or bare hand than were killed with rifles and shotguns combined. And listen, I would like to live in a murder-free world. I really would. I would like to live someplace where these kinds of crimes really don't happen. But can we put this stuff in perspective? How many people, and they don't include it in this one, I don't think. No, I don't see a category for it. How many people were killed by a car or a truck? I mean, as far as intentionally killed. I know how many people died driving in 2018. Round about, you know, just give or take 40,000 people in this country died last year and die every year from traffic accidents. And some, I assume, that are intentional accidents. It's amazing. 25,000, is that, is that how many you have? 25,000 poisoned? Wait a minute, I don't see. Well, poisoned themselves, maybe? See, the FBI stat says five people were poisoned to death in 2018 as far as being murdered. Four people died. Four people died from explosives. 72 people were burned to death. 78 people were given... Too many drugs on purpose. 70 died by strangulation. 90 died by asphyxiation. And 900 people died by some weapon that isn't included with all the other ones that I already gave you. It kind of brings the the rifles and shotguns down to something that makes a little more sense, don't you think? Does that seem like something that we have to take the trouble to regulate more than we already do? Is this, is this something we need to keep people from buying because too many kids are dying? 
Now, if you want to take a look at guns from the ones that are really causing damage, far and away the weapon of choice is a handgun. It's not an AR-15. It's not an AK-47. It's not a rifle. It's not a shotgun. It's a handgun. And then at this point, I think what you have to do is you have to figure out how many of these handguns were purchased illegally, how many of them were used in conjunction with a crime, and somebody ended up getting killed as a result, and how many of it is just used by a kid to go into a school and shoot it up, for example. Numbers don't lie. People do. Numbers don't lie. Politicians do. Numbers don't lie. People who want to take away your rights do. So it's good to have a few facts and figures behind you before you enter into that fray. To me, that's pretty startling. 297 killed by a rifle. 235 by a shotgun. 1,515 killed by a knife. And nobody's talking about background checks for you to buy a set of kitchen knives. Because a kitchen knife will do it as good as any other knife. All right, uh, Sheriff Troy Nels from Fort Bend on robo-tripping. What is robo-tripping and how big of a problem is this becoming? More on that coming up next here on AM 950 KPRC. The Jimmy Barrett Show continues on KPRC 950. 432 here on AM 950 KPRC. Kids find a way of uh, experimenting to get high. I don't know if it's just a natural part of human nature, um, but as I was saying earlier today, it feels like the moment we start cracking down on kids getting their hands on beer and wine, they started looking for something else to get high, so they started sniffing this and taking pills out of mom and dad's medicine cabinet, so we, we, got, we got good about locking that stuff up or made it tougher for them to get their hands on that, and then they kind of moved on to other things, and they now we seem to create ways to get high out of the uh, pharmacy section of the supermarket. Um, the latest thing is something called robo-tripping. I never heard of robo-tripping until I heard that uh, Sheriff Troy Nels had been talking about and alerting the media and parents to this. Sheriff Troy Nels from Fort Bend County joins us right now. How long has this been a thing, Troy? Well, we just became aware of this about three weeks ago after a couple of families up in the Katy area uh, noticed that their sons were to the point of being almost comatose uh, in, in their homes. Uh, they were rushed to the emergency room. Uh, they spent 11 hours in the emergency room. And I don't know how many young people, I mean, had catheters put in them because this was a very serious issue. They couldn't even urinate. I mean, their blood pressure was extremely high. Uh, they, they were in very, very bad shape. Uh, it was brought to my attention because the parents asked, started asking questions. And so we did some investigation, uh, Jim, and we found out that this substance, this substance, you know, it's, it's called dextromethorphan. It's, it's DXM, and it's in Robitussin and other cough uh, uh, medications. But uh, we did a public service announcement because it's not illegal, but it is very dangerous and it's very misleading. The company is very misleading. And that's my problem. So are these are these kids just buying up a bunch of cough medicine and taking way way too much of it, or are they doing something else to it? Well, no, it's 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 a very small bottle. It's only a, 
uh, an ounce and a half, 1.52 uh, ounces, it looks very similar to like a five-hour energy drinks. Um, you, you order this stuff through Amazon. So these, these young uh, individuals ended up establishing or creating a fake account on Amazon and had it uh, sent to their house. But when you look, when you go to the website, Jimmy, it, that's where my concern is, is because they list all of these different pharmacies, even in other states, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and then they list several of the pharmacies in Texas. The problem is none of the pharmacies that they list in the state of Texas carry it, and they've never heard about it. And I think that's wrong. That's a problem. Why would you say you can purchase this stuff at a, a certain pharmacy in Houston, you call that pharmacy, and they don't have it, they've never heard about it? I think it's misleading, it's dirty, and it's irresponsible. Wow. How widespread do you think this problem is? Do you think this is just a few isolated cases at this point, or is this something that seems to be going around? I don't, that I don't know. You know, we're going to be continuing to work with some of the hospitals and, and the school districts as well to try to get this information out. It's a public service announcement. I said on CNN earlier today that we're not conducting a criminal investigation here, Jimmy. This is all just about a public service announcement to let them know that, you know, there's this little bottle. Uh, it, it's very potent. And if you drink one or two of these, you know, it's going to cause you, you could go into a, a cardiac arrest. I mean, this is serious stuff. And you know how young people are today. They're all about experimenting with different things. I, I heard your show earlier talking about just getting high. Well, kids are finding all sorts of ways to do this. And this is one way. But this could be very, very uh, dangerous to your health. Yeah, the thing that's sad about that, and and, and, I, and by the way, I wasn't trying to, to, to tell anybody that, oh, yeah, we should let kids drink again by a stretch of the imagination. But I'm just saying is is people are creative. It, they always find the next thing. That's how we ended up with methamphetamine, which I still can't believe people put into their bodies. Something like methamphetamine, all the garbage that's in there, for goodness sakes. So... Now we've got this, and there'll be, be something else. It's, it's about being constantly vigilant as a parent, isn't it? Well, yeah, and, and, and the whole point about this is if this was really a legitimate, uh, uh, I guess, remedy for your minor cough, so to speak, you wouldn't have to advertise it or publicize it the way you have. I mean, on their website, they claim all of these pharmacies that carry it. They had girls on the, on the website in robocough.com dancing on the Vegas Strip you know, promoting this, I'm thinking to myself, I, I don't believe Robitussin has ever had girls dancing on the strip trying to promote their cough medicine. Uh, it, and so I think it's just, it's, it can be misleading. And I think their focus, their target audience are young people. Uh, they actually have a trademark. This is called RoboCough here, but they have a trademark called RoboTrippy. So what do you think that means, Jimmy? RoboTrippy. You know, they just want you to get high. So I, I just, you know, this company, we've made contact with them. Of course, they're going to sue me upside down and every way else. I, I never said there's a criminal investigation, but I'm going to do my best to make sure that the public is aware that the product they're selling can be very, very dangerous to their young people. Appreciate you getting the word out. And, and Sheriff, I don't think that you and I have had a chance to talk since you've made your decision to go in a different direction as far as career choices go. I just want to thank you for all your years of service in Fort Bend and all the work you've done for the public. It's much appreciated. Well, Jimmy, thank you for your time. You bet. Have a great day. 
Uh, that's Fort Bend County Sheriff Troy Nels. Joining us here on uh, AM 950 KPRC. All right. Rope, now we know what the robo-tripping is. Robotussin. You know, those little bottles which pack a lot of danger if you're just going to chug a bottle of that stuff. You know, getting high for a couple of minutes in return for, you know, potentially giving yourself a heart attack, that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. I don't know if this is a segue that works or not, but I'll give it a try here. There's a new... (laughs) I'm telling you... um, This doesn't surprise me. There are people who are not going to believe it. Certainly, you're never going to convince a vegan of this. But if you heard about this new study that's come out, it was published Monday in the Annals of Internal Medicine. It's a study on red meat. You know, when we were kids, we were told that lean red meat was good for you high in protein. As long as you pick cuts that weren't too fatty, nothing wrong with that. Red meat wouldn't be any worse for you than eating chicken or fish. All things in moderation. And then, of course, we started hearing the opposite. That it's linked to cancer and heart disease. That it will drive your cholesterol levels up. That it will the fatty will lead to fatty deposits around your heart. Of course, I never really believed that part of it because unlike a lot of people, I've had three, over the course of my lifetime, three calcium screenings. Most of the time, it was it was done up until this last time it was done because I was going to talk about it on the radio and I really needed to go through the process. You know, calcium scan is when they you know, take a look at the blood vessels around your heart and how much buildup there is. You know, whether or not you have any blocked arteries or any other issues that could cause a sudden heart attack. And you get a score. I don't know what the high-end score is as far as telling them, yeah, there's a potential problem here, but my score has always been zero. I have eaten red meat my entire life. I don't eat nearly as much of it as I used to, but I'll have an occasional steak or piece of prime rib. Maybe once a week, probably. I eat more fish and and chicken than I do any other meats these days, but I still eat red meat, and I've been around for a few decades. I have a calcium score of zero. My cholesterol level is 159. Now, I can assure you that 159 is not from healthy eating. Maybe I'm just lucky that I can get away with eating some of the things I eat. But... It's been suggested to us by well-meaning members of the medical community that you shouldn't be eating any of that stuff. Well, what are they going to say about this study? Well, they're going to try to debunk it, I can assure you, because there are people who want to get rid of red meat because cows are killing the planet. All their methane gas, all that kind of stuff. So you come out with a report that says, oh, no, there's nothing wrong with eating red meat. It's fine. That's not going to, that's, <laughs> that is not the narrative they're going for. But this study says that red meat does not pose any significant health risk. A number of scientists have criticized its offers for rushing to publish the results before they say all the facts were in. 
saying what we need to do is look at the weight of evidence. This is according to Harvard nutrition professor. He's a professor, Walter Willett. He says the publication should have been postponed. They shouldn't have put it out yet. We don't want to believe it. (laughs) Back with more in a moment. Jimmy Barrett here on AM 950 KTRC. Back to the Jimmy Barrett Show on KPRC 950. 448 here on AM 950 KPRC. All right. What shall I talk about now? What haven't I covered here today? Um, I haven't said anything about the Astros. They announced the start times for the games, right? 105 on Friday. I'm going to be very honest with myself. If I had the choice between listening to the Houston Astros broadcast or listening to the Jimmy Barrett show, I would pick the Astros broadcast. I'm talking about me personally. <laughs> I think I'm, I'd like to think I'm a realist. And I'm also a homer. I mean, I, I really, I really do think that um, fr- trying to compete with the Astros on a Friday afternoon is um, that's an uphill battle, <laughs> to say the least. And because I'm every bit as big an Astros fan as any of you are. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give myself the afternoon off to watch the broadcast, but we will have a best stuff show that we will air, uh, three to five on Friday. Cause I'm going to get me some Astros. I'm going to watch me some Astros. I'm going to watch Justin Verlander pick up another win. I don't care who we're playing. Tampa Bay, Oakland. We play the winner of the play in game. Um, I know there's a play in game tonight. I'll have to take a look at who it is, but I, I'm pretty sure the the Tampa Bay, Oakland playing game is tomorrow night. So tomorrow night we'll find out who we're playing. You know, either one is going to be a challenge, but that's okay. I think we're up we're up for the challenge. With probably the three best starters in all baseball going back to back to back in a five game best of five series. I like our chances. Hillary's making the rounds. And it's interesting. She's she's at, she's she's got a book, I guess. She and she and that what's their daughter's name? Oh, Chelsea. She and her daughter Chelsea evidently co-wrote a book together. It's about gutsy women. She wrote a book about gutsy women. Is my wife in there? Because <laughs> she's the gutsiest woman I know. No, it's like. For example, um, I think there's a chapter in there to, to Eleanor Roosevelt. I don't know who all is in there. She, of course, they, while she's making the tour, you know, they're asking her all kinds of political questions. And they're asking her about Joe Biden. Oh, by the way, before I get to Joe Biden, because I mentioned the books about gutsy women, they asked her, what, what is the gutsiest thing you've ever done? What do you suppose her answer was? She says the gutsiest thing she ever did was stay married to Bill. (laughs) No, I think that's the gutsiest thing he ever did. Stay married to her. I cannot for the life of me figure out why those two are together. Still. the The only thing I can think of is... 
the, 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 the statute that says that, that wives and husbands cannot be, spouses cannot be compelled to testify against each other. You think that's it? You think that <laughs> you think they're staying married just in case some charges end up coming somewhere down the line? Yeah, you know, as long as we're married, we can't testify against each other. We can't be forced. To, you can testify, but you can't be forced. That's the only thing I could think of is why those two would still be together. So that's what she said. The gutsiest thing she's ever done is to stay married to Bill. That is not the only thing, however, that she uh, she has done. She also thinks that people who want to give Joe Biden a hard time for, you know, sniffing hair and invading personal space, you know, and kind of nuzzling up next to women over the years. If that's y'all, y'all need to get over it. She said, mind you, this is coming from a Democrat. She said that people should be judged by the totality of their life and work. In other words, you shouldn't judge somebody just because of a few of these kinds of incidents. What about all the good things he's done? Okay, I actually kind of agree on that from the standpoint of judging people on their totality. Shouldn't Trump be judged the same way? Shouldn't he be judged for the job he has done? Not just the way he has done the job? When he's been allowed to do the job? I don't know. I still, I guess I still haven't figured out if, if, if these Democrats realize that they're hypocrites and they just justify it, that they really do believe, well, we're good. So it's okay for us to behave this way. You should forgive us for our transgressions because we do so much good for people. You should not forgive these Republicans, however, because they're mean and they, they don't like people from other countries and they're racist. In other words, they justify defending the same behavior they do themselves and criticize the other side for that behavior because I think they think that they're, they're, they're full of better intentions. We're better people. We're smarter and we're better. And people will believe us when we tell them that it's okay. What we did is okay. It's, it's fine. You know, you shouldn't judge us on that. What about all this other good stuff? But, you know... You can't you can't judge a Republican that way. Amazing. Truly amazing. But at any rate. <sighs> consumer confidence is up a little bit. Saw that. Um, I think we've gotten kind of ridiculous now on this whole consumer confidence thing. You know, we used to kind of keep track of it on kind of like a couple of times a year, then we started keeping track of it monthly. Now we're like keeping track of it every week or every two weeks. Every two weeks, 
They come out with the latest Consumer Confidence Index. Consumer confidence slowly ticked up again over the last two weeks, according to a Microsoft News Civic Science Economic Sentiment Index. Following last reading's marginal increase of 0.3, the ESI moved up by 0.5 points during this reading to 50.5. Anything above 50%, I guess, is considered fairly good. It dropped down, you know, it's usually in a range from 48 to 54, somewhere in that general range. Doesn't, doesn't normally deviate a whole lot from that. You know, the lowest it's been over the course of basically the last year was December. Well, December of last year got down to about, you know, just below 49. And then January 22nd of this year, it got down to just below 48. Right now, it's about 50.5. So, again, the needle moves all the time. You know, it's not like you're asking the same people every time you do this, right? So, you were confident two weeks ago. How do you feel today? These are all different people. It's a sampling. And, um, you know, sometimes the sampling is different. It's like any polling data. No sampling size is perfect. You know, we're, we're told, it always makes me nervous when a few thousand people, I'm not even sure how many people they do for this poll, but that a few thousand people make decisions for millions. That, that That's supposed to be a representative sampling of millions of people in just a few thousand. I don't know how that works. You know, I don't know how, I, I don't know how we can expect that to be very accurate most of the time. All right, have yourself a great evening. See you tomorrow morning, bright and early at 5 a.m. John in for Shara again. Houston's Morning News on KTRH. And then right back here tomorrow afternoon at 3 on AM 950 KPRC.